0: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas Esposito. You ready for this? On WCPT 820.
1: Hey, thanks for being here this Wednesday, February 21st. You know, um, I want to add a little bit of information to the story you just heard at the top of the hour from the Associated Press News. They talked about how um, the claims that were made against Hunter Biden Uh, from an FBI informant have now all fallen apart because the FBI informant um, finally acknowledged that none of it was true. That's part of the story. But what I don't think the Associated Press stressed enough was that Alexander Smirnoff, this is the guy who made all these claims, Uh, Jim Jordan went on and on about, um, what did he say about Smirnoff's allegations? Quote, the most corroborating evidence we have is from this highly credible, confidential human source, meaning Alexander Smirnov, who not only admits that none of it was true, but that it was information given to him by Russian intelligence operatives. It was Putin's disinformation. It was Russian disinformation designed to disrupt our election and Republicans ate it up like it was canapes, like it was ice cream sundaes. They wanted so badly to have something to go after Biden with. Christopher Ray initially had this uh, reporting from Smirnoff. He must have been suspicious about it because he didn't initially, the head of the FBI didn't want to share Um, His accusations with the Republicans and they kind of put the screws to him and uh, being um, uh, the not terribly strong man that he isn't. He eventually capitulated and gave it to them and they have been running with it. Oh, my God. Here's the smoking gun. We have proof. We have this person who has got all this dirt on Hunter Biden and the corruption of the Biden family. Except that. According to the people who have been reporting on this case, you know, there was a special counsel appointed by Merrick Garland to look into it because Merrick Garland certainly doesn't want to do anything messy. David Weiss. According to David Weiss and his investigative team, the things that Smirnoff was saying were so ludicrous, so buffoonish, his, ar- his arguments and claims were so full of holes that according to the Washington Post, catching him in lies was almost comically easy. I mean, he lied about things that were absolutely checkable, like um, meetings that he had, and things that were, you know, it's like it's not a question of memory. It's you're saying you had a meeting with this person on this day. Well, you didn't. You just didn't. And, um... Under their continued questioning, he finally said, you know what? None of it's true. All of it came from Russia. It came from Russia. If you think Putin is distracted because of what he's doing in Ukraine, he still has time to mess with us. This is a monstrous embarrassment for Republicans. They were not only propagating these lies, Smirnoff's lies. They were basing their argument that Joe Biden should be impeached on these lies. Jamie Raskin came out and said today, well, put the final nail in that coffin. <laughs> kind of hard to impeach somebody when... um the testimony you're using to impeach him uh, has been admitted to be false. Worse than just being false, this is just this isn't some Republican dirty trickster who um, tried to falsify things or make things up. This is a guy who was fed disinformation from Russia and passed it along, and Republicans ate it up. They ate it up. They ran with it. And it has now exploded in their faces. Couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of people. Oh, you know, and we shall see. We shall see. If the mainstream media, New York Times, I'm looking at you. Yes, we want to be fair and balanced, which means that we should report two-thirds in favor of Republicans and one-third in favor of Democrats. Because, you know, the Democrats just don't push back against us the way we do, the way we get from the Republicans. They, they yell at us. They say mean things to us. Let's see how much coverage this gets. The effort to impeach President Biden was based largely on Russian disinformation that was fed to a guy who fed it to the FBI, who reluctantly turned it over to Republicans, and they howled. They loved it. And now it has blown up in their faces. Okay, what else is going on? Nikki Haley says, um, I know this is going to this is going to shock you. She's still saying she's staying in the race after remember after South Carolina, South Carolina's primary is this Saturday. Um, Most people are saying that she'll probably get thirty five percent of the vote. And is that enough? Is that enough for her to continue to get the money? But after uh, South Carolina, we've got Super Tuesday. And the hope in Nikki Haley's camp is that if she doesn't get completely humiliated in South Carolina, and if she has the money to stick with Super Tuesday, that maybe, 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 maybe she might actually win one state. Anything to keep her, at least in her own mind, viable. Um, She recently said that when it came to Donald Trump, she wasn't going to kiss the ring. Uh, one of uh, Donald Trump's campaign people reposted that social media post where she said she wasn't going to kiss the ring. And um, they put this very crudely, very crudely. So let me clean it up a little bit. Basically, what the Trump campaign person said was she's not going to kiss the ring no she's going to get down on her knees and kiss his butt when she finally withdraws from the race you know if Nikki Haley has any pride at all she should when she finally withdraws from the race she should just simply say she's not endorsing Donald Trump isn't going to give her any position in his government if he wins. She's got nothing to lose by simply saying no. We'll see. You know, uh, the Trump campaign official pointed out that Nikki Haley has uh, folded every time she's, quote unquote, taken a stand against Trump. So why should her eventual withdrawal from the race be any different? Uh, In New York, remember Judge Ingeron uh, said that Trump needed personally, just himself, not the boys, not Max Weisselberg, Trump needed to pay $350 million because of the fraud he had committed. And some reports say that because this judgment was so long in coming, there's also like probably $100 million in interest to add to that. And then it was made known because he was like, oh, I'm appealing, I'm appealing. Well, apparently, he's not allowed to appeal unless he has the entire amount locked up in an escrow account. He can't appeal and use the appeal as a delay for payment. He has to have the money, he has to pony it up, and once it is acknowledge that it's sitting in an account that he can't access and the court has access to. He can file his appeal. Um, and if that doesn't happen, if he decides not to pay and not to put any money away in, a, in an account, Letitia James, the New York attorney general who uh, brought this fraud case, said, well, you know, in that case, she'll have no choice but to seize Trump's assets. She's going to seize assets. What do you think that means? Do you think that means that she is going to take the deed to Trump Tower? And wouldn't that be a humiliation on top of a humiliation on top of a defeat? One last note. you knew it was coming. The Alabama remember we told you yesterday, the Alabama Supreme Court decided that the um, clumps of cells fertilized oVA, that um, IVF clinic in vitro fertilization clinics have in their freezers those are all children. Those are all children. And here's the fallout today. The University of Alabama at Birmingham Health System, huge medical complex, by the way, University of Alabama at Birmingham Health System has paused in vitro fertilization procedures following an Alabama Supreme Court decision due to fear of criminal prosecution and lawsuits, a spokeswoman said. There is not going to be any in vitro fertilization in Alabama because of this Supreme Court ruling. How long do you think it's going to take other red states to pull this off? Well, I guess if there's a silver lining, it's that they are really letting the radical parts of their agendas. They're, they're letting their freak flag fly. They're not hiding it. Donald Trump is talking about, you know, creating uh, detention camps in the United States. Going to use the military. For massed deport mass deportations gonna gut the civil service, gonna get out of NATO. They're not hiding it. They're not hiding it. We know what's at stake here. And um I believe it is this Saturday. We're gonna talk to Joel Ostro later, but I believe it is this Saturday. <sighs> That marks two years for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Two years. And we can't seem to get any support to them anymore. The White House issued a statement today accusing Speaker Mike Johnson of putting his own internal politics... Above the safety of the American people. Because anybody with a brain knows Putin isn't going to stop with Ukraine. Donald Trump is looking a lot like the start of World War III. But hey, that's not what Fox News says. And the people who only watch Fox News think he's the second coming. Uh, There is some Wisconsin news we want to share with you. We are going to take a real quick break and uh, be joined by Heartland Signal reporter Richard Eberwine when we come right back after this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. WCPT 820.
1: You know, you think Republicans would have learned their lesson after Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Remember Dr. Oz, who had that big, huge, monstrous, expensive New Jersey mansion, but because he wanted to run as the Republican nominee for Senate from Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz said, oh, no, I don't really live in that big mansion. Uh, No, uh, my wife and I, we live with uh, my mother-in-law, who lives in Pennsylvania, Well, uh, the Republicans did not learn that people uh, don't like that idea of a carpetbagger coming in. So they're, um, they're doing it again. Uh, the Republican party in Wisconsin, uh, looks like they are going to be solidly behind a U.S. Senate, U.S. Senate candidate for Wisconsin. Uh, who actually lives in California? Oh, but he's rich, so you know that—that's that's what Republicans really, really love. Richard Eberwine wrote about this soon-to-be Wisconsinite Senate candidate, and is here to tell us about his reporting. Hey, Richard, thanks for being here.
2: Uh, thanks for having me, Joan.
1: So, give me the gist of what's of who this guy is and where he lives and. Why the Republicans in Wisconsin seem to think that he'll be a good candidate for them.
2: Yeah. So Eric Hovde announced his U.S. Senate campaign yesterday in Wisconsin. And that's interesting because he owns a seven million dollar mansion in the Emerald Bay area of Southern California in Laguna Beach. Um, he purchased this home in 2018 after he decided not to run for the U.S. Senate in that year against Tammy Baldwin. Um, Hovde, Hovde also owns a $2.8 billion bank in California, and he was named a uh, one of the most influential people in Orange County a few years ago as well. So very interesting that he is now the frontrunner for the Republican ticket in the U.S. Senate race in Wisconsin.
1: Do we even know how much time he spends in Wisconsin? What's, does he have a mother-in-law? What's his, uh, <laughs> what is his claim to being so, a legitimate Wisconsinite?
2: Um, today, he spent much of the day this morning defending the fact that he lives in Wisconsin, but he admitted that his, his time in Wisconsin is part-time. At best, so, and how could how could it not when you have a seven million dollar home in a different state and your businesses are also there? Um, he's paying seventy thousand dollars annually in property taxes for this home in California
1: interesting, interesting um, and would you say that I mean with Dr. Oz, I think the Republicans were continuing. And of this attitude that if if somebody's rich, check that box. And if somebody has name recognition, check that box. I think that's how we got their nomination for Herschel Walker. I think that's why we have Steve Garvey running for Senate. And, you know, maybe he's mad. Maybe he wanted that um, California Senate slot for the Republicans that Steve Garvey seems to be rel- reluctantly occupying. I mean, we've seen this kind of thing over and over again. Um do you think that that's what, you know, Hovdi is just checking some boxes? I mean, because I had read, I thought that Republicans were going to make a real serious run at Tammy Baldwin. They just felt this was the year that they could get her out of the Senate and put a Republican in that chair. But this doesn't seem to me like the best way to do that. What's your sense
2: of all this? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the name recognition thing, which is something that Dr. Oz did have. And it's something that Hovde doesn't seem to have because according to recent data from a Marquette University poll, 82% of voters in Wisconsin said that they haven't heard enough information about Hovde to have an opinion about him. So it is very interesting that he is seemingly the front runner here. There's nobody, no other um, high-profile candidates that have been announced for this race. Many thought that uh, Mike Gallagher would have made a run for the U.S. Senate seat, but he just announced that he is retiring from the U.S. House of Representatives. So, and he's not running for in this race. David Clark, former sheriff of Milwaukee County, was thought of as a uh, candidate, but he's still on the fence, seemingly. Another former businessman, Scott Mayer, wanted to get into this race, but hasn't made a decision yet. So. Yeah, it's it's very interesting that they haven't learned their lesson from the Dr. Oz situation, and it seems like they're picking a candidate that doesn't even have the same re- name recognition that he had.
1: In your article for Heartland Signal, you say that in the past, Hovde has espoused the great replacement conspiracy theory and has also appeared at a- events alongside book ban advocates. Um is your sense that these are are winning stances in Wisconsin? Yay. Um you know, Jews will not replace us. You know, whites will reign supreme and oh by, don't don't read any of those books that have gay kids in them? I mean
2: seriously? Yeah, it's very very strange. Yeah, he uh, he sponsored an event. For Tucker Carlson, actually, where Tucker Carlson was espousing this great replacement theory where, you know, it, which has a lot of branching storylines that are all extremely, extremely far right, far out there and very illegitimate. Um, yes, he has said these things in the past. He also when he was running in 2012, um, basically ran on fully repealing the affordable care act he said at that time that he opposes abortion so you know very very much policies that are not in tune with you would think which was wisconsinites at this time
1: this is just this is really really stunning to me i mean even though we both know that there are parts of wisconsin that are very conservative and maybe some of these arguments aren't going to land with a thud like they like they will in in Milwaukee or Madison, but the generally my observation has been that people don't like to vote for people who don't really live in their state who just sort of show up in their state because they think it's a it's an easy it's an easy path to victory. Uh, I find that to be I don't know.
2: Um. <laughs> it hasn't been successful, for sure, for yeah. Republicans. Like we said with the Dr. Oz situation, he handily lost to John Fetterman, and the Democrats were able to flip that U.S. Senate seat. And in Pennsylvania, they're doing it again with David McCormick as well, um, who lost to Dr. Oz in 2022 uh, Republican primary race. He also is facing similar criticisms of he— rents a multi-million dollar mansion in Connecticut, owns a property in Colorado, uh, owns a farm in Pennsylvania. You know, he owns properties all over the country and is saying that he knows what is right for and is going to advocate for policies that everyday Pennsylvanians in the middle class would like. So it's, we'll see how it fares for him, but it didn't work out for Dr. Oz in 2022.
1: No, no. And you know, in a way, I kind of, I kind of like the fact that um, that this is going to be their nominee because, you know, I, I was very worried about Tammy Baldwin because I kept reading, oh, they think she's vulnerable. They think she's vulnerable. You know, they're they think they can flip this seat. And it seems to me they've picked the worst of all candidates to try to do that. So I say go Republicans.
2: Indeed. Yeah. I, I mean, Tammy Baldwin defeated. Um Tommy Thompson, who was the guy who won the Republican primary in 2012 when Eric Hovde ran last time, she successfully retained her seat in 2018. Um, so it it is going to be a challenge for Republicans to flip this seat, and we'll see how Eric Hovde fares.
1: Richard Eberwine, thank you for sharing your reporting for Heartland Signal with us here on the radio.
2: Thanks, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joan. Appreciate it.
1: We're going to take a break and be back with more after this.
2: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The
3: reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible,
0: you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm WCPT 820.
1: When uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, I was talking to political science professor Joel Ostro. And naively offered my take that within a few weeks, a few months at most, that uh, Ukraine would, you know, push Russia back and this whole thing would be over. And he said that he thought I was mistaken. He thought this conflict was going to go on for a very long time. And we are coming up on the two year anniversary of russia trying to take over the country of ukraine joel austro is here now and i will give you one opportunity to say i told you so
4: yeah i was sitting are thinking at the time i i think that was the first or second time i had been on with you but now i feel comfortable enough <laughs> saying at the time i thought you were nuts
1: <laughs> well that's even worse than an i told you so <laughs>
4: Yeah. Um, it's not funny, though. Of course, of um, course, it's not and, funny. And,
1: but you know, uh, I can't, I, I, I can't believe we are still in this position. And I'd like your take on why we are still, why Ukraine is still in this position. What happened, or what didn't happen, to give them the ability to bring this to an end?
4: Well, I kind of want to flip it around um, because. The remarkable, the remarkable outcome is uh, that Ukraine has uh, been able to sustain as much of a defense to reclaim as much of the territory uh, after that initial uh, onslaught by Russia, and then uh, until very recently to hold those gains um, in spite, while waiting to receive sufficient uh, arms to be able to reclaim more of the territory. And uh, because, like most of us, we expected early on that Russia's overwhelming numbers and what we thought was Russia's um, more modern, advanced technology and better trained troops would overwhelm Ukraine um, and really lead to a disastrous outcome. So that didn't happen. And then uh, the United States, uh, the Biden administration, was able to rally Um, our allies together in in really almost a miraculous rebuilding of our alliance and and beyond the NATO alliance, a much broader alliance of those um, to stand up to tyranny and authoritarianism, which is what Putin's Russia uh, represents and and, um, uh, that's their style of government. Um, So uh, that has been the reality. Uh, Ukraine has been able to, uh, to fight back uh, because of uh, the significant aid it has gotten. Um, step by step, That w- we have been cautious in the kind of weaponry we have supplied, but every time we have supplied Ukraine with advanced weapons, they've used them uh, responsibly. They have steadfastly uh, targeted uh, only Russian military targets, uh, legitimate targets of war. Uh, despite russia's uh deliberate targeting of civilian installations and 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 just randomly targeting whoever they whoever they can hit whatever they can hit um and so that has emboldened uh the united states and and others of ukraine's allies to supply more and more advanced weaponry um, until very recently uh and and Um, We are already beginning to see uh, the tide turning on the ground into Russia's favor as a result of uh, the extreme right wing, which is the Republican Party in the United States, um, doing Putin's bidding.
1: Well, this is kind of um, one of the things that you suggested and we talked about over the last two years was that Putin was willing to play the long game, assuming that Western support for Ukraine would ebb at some point. Now, honestly, back then, I would never, ever have predicted, Joel, that the United States would be the weak link in that equation. And to say that I think that this is embarrassing, it doesn't even begin to describe the disappointment that, that we are apparently – uh, p- at least part of what is emboldening Vladimir Putin. Did you think it would be us?
4: Um, I, I sort of worried that the entirety of the Western uh, coalition would suffer from fatigue and, and uh, except for the United States, it's been the opposite. And maybe, maybe because of the United States um, becoming again um, an unreliable ally. And let's be clear, it's not the United States that's become an unreliable ally. It's the Republican Party under uh, the, um, not, I, hate, I don't want to use the word leadership, but uh, whatever you want, <laughs> the tyranny of Trump uh, that, that has made the United States unreliable uh, as, as a leader of, of the free world. Um, in response to that, Europe has become even more emboldened and committed to supporting Ukraine. Uh, Denmark is just the most recent example announced that it was sending all of its artillery to Ukraine um, and then would uh, procure for itself um, uh, arms to rearm itself, but but everything it has in its stockpile now, they're sending to Ukraine. Uh, And that's just one example of of the situation across Europe, um, whether we're talking about the United Kingdom or Germany, France. Europe has steadfastly uh, and and increasingly um, supported Ukraine and is pledging support for Ukraine, um, is already starting to discuss how to defend itself, meaning Europe, uh, in the face of, of the U.S. defection to the Russian side. Um, and I really don't say that lightly. Uh, that is really where the Republican Party at. It's entirely caught by the Kremlin. It's been brainwashed and 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 made to do the kremlin's bidding
1: the white house um put out a a memo what they're describing it as condemning mike johnson for putting Mm. internal politics above the safety of the american people and the fact that you know he has sort of let the republicans go home for a two-week vacation um and so there's no aid for Israel. There's no aid for Ukraine. Hell, when they come back, they've got three days to do a budget, which I don't think anybody believes they, that they can that they can get done. Do you lay this all? I mean, is all of, is this like the 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 border negotiation where there was a negotiation? Um, there was a bipartisan uh, effort to come together and then supposedly Donald Trump let it be known he didn't want them to vote on the border and so then all of a sudden it fell apart um, is is this also because they know that Trump is such a big supporter of Putin is this Mike Johnson Mike Johnson is he like auditioning does he really think like maybe he's going to be vice president I mean because oh no. I can't imagine what what's the upside for Mike, Mike Johnson in refusing aid to Ukraine seeing what's happening there um, we know the government is going to be in dire straits when they come back. Israel uh, also doesn't have an aid package. I mean, the border is still a mess. Um, is, is Mike Johnson so beholden to Matt Gates and Lauren Boberta and Marjorie Taylor Greene that he's going to just lead the party into disarray like this?
4: Uh, I'd push back a little on that. and Please. Uh- So here's part of the problem, because what I'm about to say is going to sound radical. Uh, But when describing radical extremism, the only legitimate words are to call it what it is. Mike Johnson is an ineffectual, ineffective, irrelevant stooge. He is a non entity 100%. He doesn't lead anything, he's a nobody. And as such, he has no spine because he's a nobody. He is a puppet, and the puppet masters are Trump, Scalise, and um, the maniacs that you named, Gates and Boebert and and Green. Um, And um, his. the problem is is that that puppet um, controls the lever of what legislation can come to the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, So without his bringing a bill to the floor, it doesn't get to the floor. Now, the Republicans only have like a four-vote majority in the House, and there are certainly more than four Republicans in the House of Representatives uh, that support the foreign aid bill that would provide all that funding that that you named. Um, But they are all terrified of undermining the House leadership. It is an extremely rare act to... um, to bring uh, what is called the discharge petition, which effectively forces legislation onto the floor despite uh, the opposition of of the leading majority. So in other words, the Democrats plus four Republicans could bring that bill to the floor, and it would pass by all accounts with about 290 or 300 votes with a huge bipartisan majority. But the problem is there isn't a single Republican right now that has shown... um, anything other than uh, fealty to Donald Trump. Um, and even those few that say they would support the bill um, don't have the courage or the, uh, the ethical fortitude, the moral fortitude uh, to do the right thing. Um, and as such, they are sacrificing um, not only Ukraine, but they're sacrificing uh, uh, our alliance with Europe. Uh, they're sacrificing ultimately uh, our own democracy, because uh, they favor bringing uh, a tyrant into power, a tyrant, by the way, who does the bidding of the real tyrant, uh, Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin.
1: Uh, there's a lot I want to talk to you about what you just said, including um, a former Illinois Congressman Adam Kinzinger gave Republicans a way out of this mess. And um, I want to share that with you. And uh, talk about this some more. I'm talking to political science professor Joel Ostro from uh, Benedictine University. We are going to continue this right after a break.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: To political science professor uh, Joel Ostro from Benedictine University, we are talking uh, about the problems going on right now in our very own Republican Party and an utter inability uh, to come together to do pretty much anything: aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, aid to Taiwan, uh, a new budget, uh, border control measures, immigration measures. Uh, none of the uh, none of the above. Now, Joel, Adam Kinzinger, every once in a while, posts a little video with his substack. And recently, he was uh, talking about this, this inability to fund aid to Ukraine, which he, of course, is a staunch supporter of. And he said, all it takes is three or four Republicans. Right who will who say to the rest of the Republicans in the House of Representatives, we are going to vote no. We're going to vote no on every rules vote that comes up. Because the Congress can't do anything. First, they have to vote a rule on the rules, and then they vote on the thing. And if you can't agree on the rules, which is usually a sort of a pro forma vote, then nothing moves beyond that. He said get three or four, whatever number it is that takes, and, and get these people together and they will say, we're going to vote no on every rules um, measure that comes before us. Nothing will get done. And we are going to do this. We're going to do it every day. We're going to continue to do it until you decide to vote on these aid packages. Kinzinger said that Mike Johnson would cave within a week and these measures would come up and they would get voted on. What do you think of that?
4: Adam Kinziger like Liz Cheney, like uh, John Kasich, like Larry Hogan, uh, and like Mitt Romney, uh, and uh, if, uh, maybe even Mitch McConnell, although I think he understands, uh, they don't understand the Republican Party today. Uh, and, and his comment reflects that he has no idea what is going on Within uh, what is or used to be his own party, uh, that is exactly what the Republican Party in the House of Representatives is doing. Without that rules nonsense, tell me the last piece of substantial legislation, of significant legislation that came out of the House of Representatives. I can't. They have no interest in doing anything other than obstructing. That was Trump. That is the Trump method. That was the Putin method. Right. Obstruct and destroy. Um, take apart. Attack. It's not about getting anything done. It's about destroying and ruining. They are bringing a wrecking ball to democracy. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Boebert, Gets, Scalise, uh, McCarthy before him. All the way back. Go all the way back to Boehner. Go all the way back to Gingrich. The strategy is destroy, attack, demolish. Not just Congress. But the institutions of our democracy, as a whole, to put in judges who oppose the fundamental principles on which our constitution is based, on which our political system is supposed to be based—basic rights and freedoms, uh, limited government, um, and, uh, and 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 um, legislating towards the center in incremental progressive. Uh, movement that is that is the fundamental of how our government system is is arranged uh, and the extremist republican party i wish we would give it a different name because it it is not the republican party that we understand that label to mean it is not a conservative party it's a radical extremist party uh, that supports authoritarianism and tyranny and opposes democracy wherever they see it
1: Ab- absolutely uh, i couldn't i couldn't agree with you more what i don't understand are you saying that even the the silent republicans who are very upset that we're not funding uh, ukraine are s- they're among this group that is so terrified that they that's why they're remaining silent you know
4: you, they value what? power more than getting anything done, Joan, because if they valued getting something done, they would agree with the Democrats to uh, bring a discharge petition, uh, bring a speaker to the floor who would get stuff done in the House um, in a bipartisan way uh, while leaving a Republican, one of those Republicans, as speaker, and largely leaving committees with Republican majorities. Uh, but they would govern with a Democratic uh, coalition. Um, and to get the few things done that they can do in a bipartisan way, including legislation like this. They're all about power. And for all of their silent, uh, you know, their their marginal squeaks about uh, their um, allegiance to uh, conventional conservatism, uh, they're not, uh, because silence is extremism in this environment. And so right now, there isn't a single Republican uh, who has the courage to Buck, the extremism in the House of Representatives. There were 22 in the Senate who did, uh, but there isn't one in the House right now. Why? Until they do it, they don't do it.
1: Um, why? What are we seeing in the Senate? Is it Republicans who um, just have stiffer spines? Uh, why? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and I mean, uh, the, the Republican Party as a whole has of uh, the last few years to me been the party of cowardice. Um, mm-hmm. don't, uh, don't say anything that's gonna, um, inflame the MAGAs. Um, even if it means you say X today and tomorrow you say, I never said X, I have always believed Correct. Y, et cetera, and so forth. But we are seeing Republicans in the Senate that are starting to defy the more conservative members of their party. What's going on in the Senate that isn't happening in the House of Representatives? Uh,
4: Their leader, McConnell, supported Ukraine funding and saw an opportunity to get the most extremist uh, anti-immigration legislation uh, in American history uh, passed with Democratic support. Uh, And uh, they're quite uh, ticked off. Uh, that in the House uh, they didn't seize that opportunity, which will never come again. I That's all it is.
1: Yeah, I, I don't It's have. the
4: leadership, the leadership. McConnell, McConnell isn't anything to lose at this point, right? So he saw an opportunity, having having packed all the courts with extremist Republican judges to get this extremist anti-immigration legislation and still get funding for Ukraine because he is part of that. Uh, majority still, even in the House, that that would prefer to oppose Russia's aggression. You know, I guess... what but they was, won't come out and do it publicly.
1: What I was going to say was, perhaps foolishly, uh, because uh, after being with me all these years, you know I have many foolish ideas, but one yeah. of my foolish ideas was that somehow, you know, senators, big deal, there's only 50 of them, they're voted in for six years rather than mm-hmm. two, you know, it always... I was always under the impression that maybe they were the adults in the room. And I guess I always thought that they would have influence over their brethren in the House of Representatives. I guess I was very naive to think these things, wasn't I, Joel?
4: I I don't know about that. I think the problem is is that the entirety of the Republican leadership in the House uh, is part of the most extreme wing of that extremist party. Uh, and they have captured the house entirely. Really, the house is led by Marjorie Taylor Greene. Which
1: is and what Mitch McConnell thing. just doesn't want to go up against her is because he seems to be taking a hands, off, a hands it's a off. Separate a hands off approach. Well, yeah, but like, let's body. go back to Kinzinger's idea. You think, because Kinzinger was like, well, where's the head of the Intelligence Committee? Where's the head of the Foreign Relations Committee? Don't these people care enough to be the ones to say we're not going to vote on these rules? Couldn't Mitch McConnell, you know, because not only is he the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, but he's always sat on top of a huge pile of money. Mitch, you, you stay on Mitch McConnell's good side and you get untold dollars for your re-election campaign. Mitch McConnell couldn't pull four Republican Um, congressmen to the side and say, look, dudes, you know, I'm going to fund your next six campaigns, but this is what you're going to do for me.
4: Well, he's he got his funding goes to the Senate uh, campaigns largely. Um, But again, getting back to that rules thing, that's that's a non-starter. I mean, that that Johnson and, and the extremist Republicans would say, thanks. This. So Kinzinger's got it all wrong. Uh, really? What, what has to happen is Republicans, like the the chairs of the Intelligence, Foreign Affairs, and Armed Services Committees, and probably six or seven others, uh, would have to uh, jump ship and bring the legislation to the floor with Democrats. That's the only way it's going to come is that discharge petition with with Democratic support. But it's going to take more than four because there's probably 10 or 12 insane Democrats uh, who will oppose funding uh, the foreign aid bill uh, because of their extreme positions regarding uh, Israel, um, which I don't necessarily disagree with at this point in terms of uh, putting conditions on the provision of aid, uh, but that aid package also contains some 10 or $12 billion worth of humanitarian relief for Gaza and, uh, and Palestinians, and it and, and, uh, seems to me that 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 is important to pass through. But you're going to have to get over the uh, the intransigence of, of um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and, and those who follow her lead in the House, unfortunately. So it'll be more like 10 or 12 Republicans needed.
1: Okay, Joel, you teach political science. Do you, When you teach your students about the workings of government, do you ever... Talk to them about bipartisanship and compromise needed to get bills passed, even if you don't get everything you want in a bill, even if you have to agree to some things in a bill that you really don't like for the bigger picture. Do you do you teach those concepts?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's how I teach it in the context of um, our democratic institutions and how, how our democracy is configured. Um, in order to achieve limited government, we have not just separation of powers but we have um, overlapping powers, checks and balances um, and that system uh, only works if everyone is committed towards um, towards governing towards the center. Uh, but the center has collapsed, largely driven by the Republican party's movement to extremism um, it, it it when Uh, Political political scientists talk about um, the erosion and the disappearance of the guardrails. Those are the guardrails, is accepting the fact that sometimes you win elections and sometimes you lose. But the Republican Party has rejected that principle, which means they've rejected the principles of democracy. And they've certainly rejected the requirements of American democracy. Uh, So our our politics, people say Congress is broken. Yes, Republicans broke it intentionally because they don't like it. They don't, they don't want to compromise.
2: We it takes are, two to
4: compromise. If one of the two doesn't mm-hmm. want to compromise, then then there is no compromise. And, and then then we get back to, uh, you know, does anyone have the courage to protect our democracy? Uh, and in the Republican Party and the House of Representatives right now, uh, the total number of those willing to do that is zero.
1: Oh, political science professor Joel Ostro is here with me. We are coming up on the two-year anniversary of the invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We are going to talk more about this. Uh, Joel, when we come back, the Ukrainian ambassador, Oksana uh, Markarova, was uh, on CNN last night talking about what her country needs. When we come back after the news, I'm going to share that sound with you, and Joel and I are going to continue our conversation right after this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Take her away in. Yeah, take it away It's going to be a bumper ride. Joan Esposito. Whoa,
1: that's an explosive sentence.
0: On WCPT 820.
1: And I am joined by Benedictine University political science professor Joel Ostro, who is an expert when it comes to Russia. And Joel, as I said before we went to news Um, Last night, the Ukrainian ambassador, Oksana Makarova, was on CNN with Caitlin Collins. And a very brief portion of that exchange had to do with the support that she would like her country to get. Listen to this.
5: What are your conversations like with these Russian House members? Are you getting assurances that they do believe another aid package will be passed?
6: Well, we still have very strong bipartisan support we um saw it every time we speak. President Zelensky in Munich met with both House and Senate delegation, seventy votes on the senate floor uh, and of course it's it's an internal uh issue how to support us whether to to vote separately together you know we 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 really shouldn't be getting into it, but you know we needed it yesterday, and you're 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 right you know we have to be ordering more. We have to be receiving more right now in order to stop Russia, not only for, for the sake of Ukraine. For us, it's existential. We know that they want to kill all of us. And there are people who are being killed and raped as we speak on the territories that they still occupy and children who have been kidnapped. But we have to stop them because let's listen to Putin. It's well beyond Ukraine for him. He threatens Poland. He threatens Baltic states. He threatens other NATO allies. He threatens anyone who believes in the same values, freedom, democracy.
1: I think um, she made some really good points that I'm starting finally to read about, Joel, in the mainstream media, which is um, however you feel about Trump or Biden or whatever – Don't be fooled by Vladimir Putin and don't Mm -hmm. think if he is allowed to overrun Ukraine that that will be the end of it, that that will satisfy him. Um, The people of Moldova are very nervous, Mm -hmm. Estonia, Lithuania. And as Mm -hmm. you just heard, uh, you know, the people of Poland aren't feeling pretty good Mm -hmm. about things themselves. Mm -hmm. What do you think? You are the Russian expert. Give me your take on whether or not. Let's say he was allowed. Let's—we just decided give him Ukraine. Yeah. Would that be the end of it, Joel?
4: Well, let's. Uh, first of all, um, Ambassador is a is a, a terrific voice and a strong voice. Um, she's a wonderful diplomat, and uh, I liked Caitlin Collins' this little slip there. I don't know if you caught it. Yes, she I did. Asked about the Russian members the of Russians. the House. Uh, pretty accurate. Uh-huh. Uh, and and uh, Putin knows that that through. Years and years of propaganda and misinformation, um, uh, aided and abetted by uh, the Tucker Carlson's of the world and Fox News, um, have successfully brainwashed um, the Republican supporters uh, among the American electorate and, and uh, most of the uh, uh, elected officials in the Republican Party from the federal level down to the local level. And what that means for sure this has been a, a concerted and deliberate campaign. Uh, By Putin, uh, really since he he took power, Um, and anyone who thinks that uh, Russia would stop at Ukraine, um, uh, they already haven't stopped at Ukraine. Uh, They've infiltrated the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, They've affected uh, uh, the political configuration in most of Western Europe, where extreme right-wing parties have gained in strength. Uh, They've gained in strength because they're allied with his own extreme right-wing party in Russia. Um, they've already captured Hungary. Uh, you can see the rise of the extreme right everywhere from Germany and France to uh, really all of Europe um, and and that campaign will will certainly not lighten um, uh, whether they would what would what American capitulation to Russia's uh, authoritarianism would mean is uh, largely that, Uh, Russia would see that it could do as it sees fit Um, and whether that would mean uh, militarily threatening any of those uh, states that are currently our allies whether we're talking about the Baltic states Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania uh, or further out to Poland or Finland um, you know it's hard to know for sure Uh, the signal of Russia's strength and America's weakness would um, reconfigure international politics around the globe um, and, and uh, be catastrophic for our economy and for Europe's economy because uh, that, that realignment um, uh, would, be, would, be, would run very deep. The flip side of that is not only is arming Ukraine in our political and security interests, it's in our economic interests. Uh, where do you think that sixty billion dollars is going to be spent? It's not going to Ukraine. It's going to be spent on uh, Lockheed Martin and Boeing and and McDonnell Douglas and and um, you know Pratt and Whitney and, and and the various defense contractors that that make ammunition and and make the tanks and make the airplanes and the engines and and all of the other uh, munitions and, and armaments that that would. Uh, that would fall under that 60 billion. In other words, American manuf- weapons manufacturing would, would jump.
1: Um, well, and- that's the argument that Mitch McConnell made months ago. Like, like hmm. he was like, people, this this whole thing is a win-win. We have another country with boots on the ground fighting our greatest enemy. And we're giving them all of our old stuff, and we're buying new stuff with this money. Mm-hmm. Like, what's not mm-hmm. to like about supporting Ukraine? And yet, that in, that argument seems to have fallen on um, deaf ears.
4: Correct, because their interests are different. The Republican Party isn't, doesn't share what we identify as America's interests.
1: And... Uh, and the Republican Party sees a victory on the part Power of... Power and Black-
4: self-interest. Power and self-interest. And and Trump's self-interest, unfortunately, because he's captured that party. So if you think J.D. Vance is operating in America's interest, you're out of your mind. Uh, he's yeah, operating really. out of his own self-interest and, and, and um, the fealty to Trump's... Uh, Corruption and tyranny, uh, and and the devastating thing about it is, I was asked the other day, how, why did uh, Putin have Navalny murdered now? How, do, in other words, how do we account for the timing? Well, because you, you know that's that really interesting
1: um, because I don't know if you caught this, but when Navalny's uh, wife Yulia uh, Navalnaya, when she made her very impassioned speech about his death, Um, she said we know why now. We know and we're going to tell you, but we're also going to identify the people who did this and we're going to make sure that their pictures and their names are publicized. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself she knows why this happened now and if that's the case, why doesn't she share it with people like me?
4: Uh, So why now? Uh, Why now? Because uh, it's a combination of two things that sort of feed into each other. Um, Putin is demonstrating uh, the extent of of his control, uh, not only over the situation in Russia, not only over the situation in Ukraine, uh, but his control uh, really over global politics uh, because he controls the Republican Party in the United States of America, and thus he controls the United States Congress. Um, And so he's sort of poking to verify what he already knew, which was that uh, there wouldn't be a peep uh, of opposition uh, of any substance from the United States because the Republican Party would block it. Um, and then it's also testing that uh, to hmm. gauge the extent to which he can, can carry out other actions because he knows that he would suffer no consequences at home. Uh, from murdering Navalny, and, and despite um, you know, a couple of CNN anchors' expression of outrage and disbelief that 300-some-odd people were arrested in Russia, uh, uh, Aaron Burnett, the primary voice of outrage on CNN, um, it's a country of 145 million people across 11 time zones. 300 people were arrested. That means nobody was arrested. That means nobody was out protesting. Putin has the entirety of the Russian population under his thumb. Because everyone knows that Navalny was murdered.
1: Yeah. Uh, Would it have made a difference? Uh, Because this murder... Well, Navalny was murdered in Russia, but the one that um, I was also taking note of is uh, Mm. a guy who had stolen the helicopter from Russia and flown it to Ukraine and defected. He was recently murdered in Mm -hmm. in Spain. I mean, you know, and it's there's no question here. I mean, this guy didn't fall down a flight of stairs. Um, This Mm -hmm. guy was shot. He was hit Mm -hmm. by a car. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, would it have made any impact On Vladimir Putin, if once that was ascertained, because at first, you know, authorities thought it was uh, just a regular car accident, and then they... they No, no, he was murdered. Yeah. He was
4: assassinated. Yes.
1: Would it have made a difference if Spain had said, no, this is wrong, the entire Russian embassy, pack your bags, hit the road? Would any kind of gesture, would any kind of reaction have made a difference, and would it have been better than what happened, which, as far as I know, is nothing?
4: It's nothing. And and I'm guessing Putin would have shrugged and said, fine, you know, what do we care? Uh,
1: But could an action like that have sent a message to us in the United States that, look, look, this country can stand up to Putin. Why can't you?
4: Well, I think that The administration certainly is resolute in standing up to Putin. Uh, The United States government, uh, as such right now, is committed to that, Uh, meaning the White House, uh, the the Biden administration, and presidential pronouncements, our foreign policy apparatus, right now is entirely geared towards uh, standing up to Russia's aggression and opposing it and and doing so in every way that they can, uh, including um, slapping on new sanctions uh, against various individuals, which is you know, pretty much just a symbolic gesture at this point because we're having trouble enforcing the sanctions we've already imposed, uh, and the new ones are not nearly as consequential as what was already in place, so it's really symbolic. Um, but our politics are our politics, and nothing that Spain does is going to heal, uh, going to restore to sanity 48% of the American population and the entirety of the Republican Party uh, elected officialdom um it that's lost and uh, the you know and i don't know what the solution is to that you know, um, uh, but it does leave it does leave putin um relatively unrestrained not completely because he does still have to reckon with europe and and nato can still act it's much weaker without the united states but but germany can rearm you know just let that sink in for a little bit uh, and and you know france and the uk and and denmark sweden Norway Finland they're not they're not without military capability uh, but but much weaker without the United States but they can also rearm and, and commit to defending themselves along with Poland and the Baltic States and um, you know I would imagine that even under a Republican administration they'd be happy to sell advanced weaponry uh, to whoever would buy it uh, the problem is they would probably sell them to whomever would buy it
1: mm-hmm. we have a Republican Party that is beholden to Trump, even though when you look at the numbers of people in this country and how many are really die hard, my um, way or the highway, no holds barred Trump supporters, that's not the majority of this country by any stretch of the imagination. It sort of feels like the tail is wagging the dog. But we have elected a bunch of people uh, who appear to be, by all accounts, Completely, either completely blinded by power or completely spineless or a delightful combination of both of those yes. things. If we take a step back, those people didn't just appoint themselves to Congress. They were voted into Congress. Uh, one of the things that I worry about as we approach this next election is the no-information or low-information voter, the person mm-hmm. who just doesn't care, finds it too depressing, or doesn't have the time to pay attention, thinks that maybe they might, they'll try to learn a little bit, maybe when it comes time to actually vote, but pretty much until then, they they just don't want to be bothered by, by any of it. Do we have a populace that is too ignorant for democracy?
4: I would just say brainwashed. Uh, you know, we have these Information silos, uh, these echo chambers, and on the right, the echo chamber is—you can say—dominated by MAGA and, and Trump, uh, but that messaging uh, is orchestrated in in significant part uh, from the Kremlin. And even if the actual messages now are not coming from there, um, the messages that are being spread uh, are based on prior messaging. That did come from the Kremlin, the disinformation, concerted disinformation campaigns, uh, but that still goes on, uh, and and the baseless conspiracy theories. Uh, we just heard that uh, you know the FBI has uh, uncovered that their star informant in the Hunter Biden case it turns out was uh, a Russian agent. Uh, Gosh, so imagine that! There you go. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and and
1: it was all Russian. All the information he passed along to the FBI was given to him by Russian intelligence.
4: Kremlins. Yeah, misinformation from the from Dis- the Misinformation, yep.
1: disinformation. And mm-hmm. here's the other thing. Okay, this information was passed to the FBI. Christopher Ray initially sat on it. Christopher Ray initially pushed back against Republican efforts to share this with us. Share this with us. And then Christopher Ray was like, "Oh, well, gosh, OK, Stop asking. Stop bothering me. Stop filling in my inbox. Here it is." Um, and I find that I find that action on the part of Christopher Ray to be to be puzzling. I mean, if you're the head of the FBI, I would assume, that you are expecting that from time to time there'll be a lot of political pressure. That doesn't mean you say, no, no, no. Okay, guys, I guess you're serious about this. Okay, so then, yes. I was very disappointed when I started looking at the trail of how Republicans got this uh, disinformation Mm -hmm. red meat that they ran with.
4: Yeah, I I agree. I can't explain it, and and I can't explain how uh, the FBI... Uh, relied on this this source in quotes uh, who had who was known to have a history of making up information or spreading lies Um, how long they knew that he was in cahoots with the FSB and and Russia I don't know Um, hopefully investigation of the FBI will and and its processes will uncover that Uh, but that's going to take an administration willing to to uh to order that, um, and that wouldn't happen probably until after the, the 2024 election, is my guess.
1: What do you think of the performance of uh, Merrick Garland? Um, you know, because Merrick Garland I, I, appointed the yeah. special prosecutor, David Weiss, mm-hmm. who, according—and this is why I don't understand why Chris Ray, even if he gave the information to Republicans, if he didn't say, mm-hmm. guys— this looks really wobbly. Don't right. don't make this your sole or your main argument because oh, according to the Washington According to the Washington Post when David Weiss's investigators sat down with Alexander Smirnov, they said that mm-hmm. some of what he was saying was just laughable. It was yeah. he was described as buffoonish. Yeah.
4: Yes. Yeah. I, and I would be surprised if Ray didn't say that, but the Republican Party has a different agenda. Again, it's not about truth. It's not about justice. it It's all about power and uh, undermining our democratic institutions to say it over and over. But that's they're playing a different game. and And those who are institutionalists and and Christopher Ray certainly is the head of the FBI as part of that. President Biden is, is certainly, and most of the administration, and most Democrats still are, um, you know, the, 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 the Republican Party in Congress, and, and by the way, in state legislatures around the country, uh, they're not playing the, the traditional American political game. They're, they're, their game is to undermine and destroy it, and they're succeeding.
1: And that will benefit them How?
4: Power, power, and then presumably uh, enriching themselves.
1: And they all think that's they're what gonna...
4: happens in tyrannies. That's what happens uh-huh. in dictatorships, right? And if they be allow of that tyranny to take over, that,
1: they all are under the impression that they're going to be at the top of the heap.
4: They won't be. Well, they'll they'll be part of the top of the heap for sure. Business know. simple as that. They're going to be making the rules, uh, and they're going to make those rules to benefit themselves without accountability, without transparency, without checks and balances.
1: Yesterday, I was talking with uh, uh, Jacob Heilbrun, who's written oh. a, a book about how, um, in the past, in the before the First World War and the Second World War, w- there were always conservatives, those uh, right-leaning people here in the United States. Who had a romance, a, a, a fascination with fascism and dictatorship. <laughs> but a lot of those were elites, you know, the Charles Lindberghs, you know, the H.L. Menkins, uh, elites who, for, you know, who may have been <laughs> racist and misogynistic and anti Semitic, but they fully expected that, that you know, if indeed fascism took over, they'd be part of the the ruling class. Is mm-hmm. that part of what we're seeing now with the Republican Party? You know, sure. it's going to be the white Christian people on top, and that's mm-hmm. why we're doing this?
4: That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, maybe Christian in air quotes, though. Yeah, I mean, their idea on your, on your of Christianity. Of their idea of it, yeah. But you know, there's, there, this isn't new in American politics. You can trace it all the way back to Alexander Hamilton, who certainly had... Uh, an authoritarian streak was was skeptical of and suspicious of democracy, and wanted to overthrow the election that that brought Jefferson uh, to the White House because they didn't trust him. Uh, and it turns out he, he he was pretty trustworthy in terms of uh, being limited by the Constitution. So, and it was Hamilton who would have been unlimited.
1: But but in in the play Hamilton, um, hmm. he endorses Jefferson over Burr.
4: Yeah, in the end, but, but he was not uh, initially. Initially, he wanted Washington to proclaim himself King George of America. So, um, he, he was, a, uh, he, he was a, a skeptical supporter of democracy, to say the least.
1: And the reason. And his people- argument
4: with Burr was personal, not, yeah. not based on the principles of our politics, it was about personal power.
1: Is it just because democracy is um, sometimes a seemingly a chaotic form of government? or is it or is the opposition really rooted in um, there's a lot of stupid people, particularly women and people of um, you know dark races, that just you know shouldn't ever be allowed to make decisions or govern all of us really well-educated, really well-off white people should stay in power. Is, is that the bottom line or is there something else?
4: I, I think that defines some of the, uh, the right wing in the United States today, a, a, a substantial portion. But I wouldn't say that it, it defines all of it. Uh, I think it's more about personal power and personal enrichment, uh, just greed, corruption and power straight out. Uh, and, um, and that is what defines and has defined the Republican Party for quite a while. So they use the racism as, as, a, uh, as, as part of their strategy of uh, fomenting fear uh, to rally those who they misinform and, and cause to live in fear. They rally them to their side by pointing at an enemy. It's classic uh, strategy of wannabe uh, tyrants throughout history. Um, from Make the most egregious so examples like to Hitler vote. to Putin to, uh, to every dictator in history. They use fear as a means of control and the Republican Party today is certainly that and at the apex is the biggest fear monger of them all in that party but he's by no means the first and he's no, by no means uh, the only fear monger in that party.
1: I'm he just happens to be
4: the best at it right now, so he's at the top.
1: Political science professor Joel Ostrow from Benedictine University. He is an expert on Russia. We're going to continue our talk right after a break.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Science Professor Joel Ostro from Benedictine University is joining me. He is an expert on Russia. And Joel, I don't know if you saw this or heard this. Uh, Biden, The Biden campaign recently put out a new ad. And in it, it, the ad is about NATO. Alex, go ahead and play that.
7: For 75 years, NATO has been the most important military alliance in the world. It's been the cornerstone of America's security. It's how we won the Cold War and defeated the Soviet Union. And the only time NATO has invoked the sacred commitment of Article 5 was to stand with America after 9-11. Every president since Truman has been a rock-solid supporter of NATO. Except for Donald Trump. Trump wants to walk away from NATO. He's even given Putin and Russia the green light to attack America's allies.
8: I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want.
7: No president has ever said anything like it. It's shameful. It's weak. It's dangerous. It's un-American. Joe Biden understands the commitment we have made to NATO is good for America and the world. And he will honor it because that's what a strong American president does.
1: Two things about that ad, Joel, um, you know, unfortunately, there was just a portion of the, the Trump clip because he was worried about all uh, the other countries in NATO, you know, not paying their fair share. And if they didn't pay up, boy, he would just mm-hmm. basically watch them burn. And I thought it was very interesting that they end that by talking about that. What really makes a strong leader? Because, you know, so many of Trump's supporters will tell you that what they like about him is that he's strong um, where they're getting that, I'm not exactly sure, but he's that loud. seems to be They're confusing perception.
4: loud for strong.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think it's smart on Biden's part to do more, to show mm-hmm. people that what strength really is and that he's a strong mm-hmm. leader. What, do you th- what did you think of that ad?
4: Yeah, no, I agree entirely. Uh, um, a strong United States is a United States that leads. A United States that leads is a strong United States. Um, uh, you used to have this phrase where the, the President of the United States is the leader of the free world uh, not the destroyer of it um, and uh, I guess we're going to find out in November uh, what the future is going to be um, we certainly you and I share the same concerns about that and and on that on that point, the president of the United States really does matter. The president is still in charge of this country's foreign policy, um, except for where it depends on funding, and then that in our system that that relies on Congress. Although presumably, if Trump ended, you know, suspended the Constitution and and, um, and changed our system the way the way the Republican Party would like to see it changed, then. You know, Maybe maybe all that would change, too. Uh, but certainly America's role in the world would, would decline precipitously.
1: I personally think that the Republican Party has gotten so radical, not only when it comes to foreign policy and aid for Israel and Ukraine, but I think that the cultural issues, the whole no mm-hmm. abortion, no, oh, wait, let's make it no contraception, oh, and no IVF. Um, and let's yeah. rethink this whole gay marriage thing. I think that they have become so radicalized that I believe that in 2024 they will lose control of the House. I believe that uh, a Democrat will continue on in the White House. And the only concern I have about the Senate is because, as as you know, and the audience may or may not know, um not all. It's. It's. There's not as many senators. You know. That's the whole Senate doesn't come up for re-election every time we have a presidential election. They're on six-year terms. They're staggered, and a lot of the seats that are up are uh, considered, Swing. at least a good number of them, are considered fairly secure Republican seats. In other words, mm-hmm. there is concern that simply because of the senators who are up for re-election. Democrats maybe have more to lose in this coming 2024 election cycle than perhaps to win. If let's just say there's a slim Republican majority in the Senate, but we've retaken the House, we've got the White House will we see the same kinds of the same kind of dysfunction whether it is foreign policy or how we deal with russia because as you and i talked about at the beginning of this conversation there are definitely republican senators who are willing to stand up and say we need to support ukraine and i'm going to vote for it we need these border measures and we're going to negotiate them and and vote on them do you think we will have the same lack of any kind of functional government if if the republicans have the senate and but we have the house and the white house
4: yeah i think that would be just as bad as the situation as we have now but i see i see that as the least likely outcome um if if the republicans get the senate they're almost certainly going to control the house uh and the white house as well um the, I see the dynamic uh, in 2024 is, um, unfortunately, quite similar to 2016, uh, where there's going to be uh, a significant enough protest vote from the left or stay home vote from the left um, for all of the wrong reasons. Uh, but, that, but don't you think uh, we'll lessons were learned to Trump? I know nope.
1: there's a lot of complaining and a lot of people saying there should be somebody younger. There should be somebody different than Biden. Um, you know, what has Biden done for me? Biden's not fulfilling not enough supporting of the, the Palestinians agenda. enough. But, but when push comes to shove, if they're looking at that ballot and it's Trump and Biden, don't you think they learned their lesson from when it was nope. Trump and Hillary?
4: Nope.
1: Oh, come on. a big on. portion will
4: stay home and a big portion is going to vote for
1: for the anti no. vaxxer
4: yep. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you forget, I spend all my time around eighteen to twenty-one year olds. I'm a college professor.
1: And what are they saying to you that makes you think this?
4: Sounds it sounds eerily similar to the to the Bernie or Bust crowd from 2016. They're not talking about Bernie, but it's a different issue, but, or different issues, but you know, he's too old, I can't vote for him. He's no good. He's terrible. So Biden's got a huge messaging and a huge motivation problem that he's got to overcome, because wouldn't think Trump has on that, uh, on that radical right, uh, there's enthusiasm, and that's a, that is tough to overcome even if it's only 33 percent who are crazy wild about Trump. But I think it's more than that in the Republican Party. It's 33 percent of the population, but it's like 75 percent or 80 percent of the Republican Party is wildly in favor of him.
1: Talk to me about when you mentioned third party candidate, are you thinking RFK Jr.?
4: Or protest vote in general, like any protest vote is taken from one of the two Like, who would that person otherwise vote for? And I think there's probably going to be more of a protest vote. It's hard to know how it will split. It really is hard to know how it will split. But the latest information suggests if RFK Jr. stays in, he draws much more heavily from Biden.
1: Really? Because supposedly Trump's camp is very worried about him to the point where there were rumors a couple of weeks ago that Trump people actually reached out to RFK Jr. to see if he'd be interested in being Trump's VP.
4: Yeah, it's hard for me to see uh, hardcore Republicans voting for Kennedy. But it's quite easy for me to see the Hollywood anti-vaxxers voting for Kennedy. Hollywood and, you know, those who ally with the Hollywood anti-vaxxers, the Gwyneth Paltrow types, right? Uh, I don't know anything about Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know about her vax. I just used her as a symbol. I have no idea what oh. her stance is on anti-vax, but she's kind of a nutty, lefty, Hollywood type, so just throw her in there. <laughs> Sorry, Gwyneth, if I threw you under the bus, but...
1: <laughs> well, I would like to think... I would like to think that we are capable of stepping back and seeing the big picture here. Um,
4: I there's mean, a lot of time. There is a two, lot of time still. was 2016
1: wasn't that long ago.
4: Yeah, and there's a lot of time before November. Uh, uh, But the Biden campaign has a real hill to climb. Um, So, well,
1: you know, the situation in Gaza, that's a no win for Biden. I mean, I don't know that he no matter what action he takes, not that, you know, he can dictate Mm -hmm. terms to anybody. But I I, I see that as just he's he cannot he he cannot make everybody happy no matter what Mm. he does or doesn't do. When it comes to Gaza, somehow people seem to think that uh, Netanyahu uh, jumps to Biden's tune, and I don't think that's he the doesn't. case, Joel. Nope,
4: nope, no, doesn't at all. Doesn't at all. Uh, but explain that to the hard left.
1: And then, what did you think? You know, Biden has been very careful with what he has said publicly. I mean, I know that there's lots going on yeah. behind the scenes when uh, these negotiations take place, and he's really been trying to put pressure on Netanyahu. Um, And recently, almost reluctantly, he came out and said that he felt that what Israel was doing right now was over the top. And even that didn't win him any points, because the people who really want to just have a ceasefire, no matter what happens with Hamas, they made fun of him for that. Like, oh, that's all he could say was over the top. That's as much as he can, that's as far as he can go. And yet, you know darn well, the people who are supportive of what Israel is doing were like, that's offensive to us. He literally cannot win.
4: The more significant action was the sanctions against, was it six of the uh, uh, acts of violent, illegal Israeli settlers near the West Bank who were provoking uh violence uh in that quarter uh with attacks against palestinians across that border um and the administration slapped sanctions on those uh those those individuals the the settlers um and people were critical oh only six uh but i think that was a trial balloon to see what kind of reaction it would get and i would imagine there's gonna be a lot more where that came from
1: really to try to contain
4: i would hope there is
1: Because, you know, from from Netanyahu's government in Israel, uh, they were incensed and outraged about that.
4: Yep, yep. Uh, But uh, I think what what the administration was doing was gauging what would be the reaction on on this end politically, and and there was almost none. Uh, So I think that that would – it sends a signal to the Israeli government to rein it in. And and to stop it and to punish them, those who carry out those acts, and, and if they don't, that will continue to uh, uh, to levy sanctions against them. And and I would hope that would continue to be the policy of this administration because it's appropriate.
1: I read something. If they're
4: and- serious about preventing the war from expanding, yeah, right, that's that's the that's the that's that would be the worst flashpoint, is extension of this into the West Bank.
1: Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read something recently about the Israeli government or the head of the IDF saying, you know, that if Hamas releases all the hostages, that the IDF will stay out of Rafah, which is like the sort of southernmost city on the border of Egypt between um, the Gaza Strip and, and Egypt. Did yeah. I have that right? Was that something that? Oh, Israel
4: has been saying that all the time. If they release all the hostages, you know, they'll, they'll stop. They'll stop attacking. Uh, that's, that's not a change at all in Israel's messaging. Well, I've, 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 I, was, I was under 8. the Im-
1: impression that they sort of made it more specific because they were poised to enter Rafah, and it was oh, like, perhaps, hey, "You don't yeah. want us in Rafah? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Release the yeah.
1: hostages, and release we'll like, hostages, quit yeah. right here, right now."
4: But it's essentially the same message. Release the hostages and you get a ceasefire.
1: Do you think that there is any argument that will resonate with Hamas to release the hostages?
4: Doesn't, well, any realistic argument? No. doesn't seem it. I
1: mean, so do we look just at what's happened
4: those, so far and they haven't released them, right? Do we just uh, write so those Israel's, people off,
1: Joel? I mean...
4: Israel's disproportionate response so far has not has not yielded any sort of um, action from Hamas. I mean, there was that one brief period where they had that exchange. Uh, and then but, fairly
1: uh, recently, the IDF, uh, through military action, raided a place where two hostages were being held and got them out. Right. I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been more of that. I mean, you would think that one of their goals right now, the IDF would be intel now tell us what you know uh you want us to leave you and your family alone tell us what you know about where the hostages are are you surprised Um, there hasn't been more alive
4: Uh, well i wonder if if there's accurate knowledge even about how many of those hostages are remain alive i haven't heard much reporting on that of late Um, Well, it would seem, too, though, that
1: if you have decent intel, somebody could at least tell you, well, it looks like there are four or five bodies here. You know, I mean, body recovery, I would think, would still be a legitimate reason to uh, conduct a raid.
4: I agree. Yeah. So must be that that intelligence is not is not there. Um, and remember, Hamas isn't the only actor. There's also Islamic Jihad, and uh, those two organizations uh, are often not so friendly with each other. Early on in this, um, there was an interview that somebody, I think al Jazeera, did with some Hamas official from the Hamas political wing uh, who said that uh, Hamas didn't know where uh, some large percentage of the hostages were because they'd been taken by Islamic Jihad.
1: Now, let me see if I understand that correctly. You're not saying that Islamic Jihad was involved in October
4: 7th. Oh, sure they were. Oh, yeah. They yeah, were. It was a joint action. Oh, yeah.
1: Because mm-hmm. I, I always read Hamas, 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 and I haven't I read that much about this, this particular group. If they're not on the same page, why would they conduct a raid together?
4: Uh, they're kind of different chapters of the same book, if you want to continue with that analogy, but they're not the same chapter.
1: So, so they do get, we have yeah. any knowledge? They, they're
4: competing entities with the same ultimate objective, which is the destruction of Israel.
1: There's a, a military guy um, teaches at a at, at a military college, and he's always instructive on what the rules of war are and what um, you know what you can do and what you can't do. And for the most part, his take is that Israel has done what they are obligated to do as far as the Geneva Convention. And, um, you know, people say, oh, you know, they dropped leaflets to tell people to leave. And that wasn't practical because people didn't have a way to leave. But that's not what the rules of war internationally require. They require the notice, but, you know, they don't require that you put together a a car caravan. Um, What is what are your thoughts on what you see in that conflict?
4: I didn't hear this individual's comments, but uh, I don't think it's possible that I could disagree with that sentiment more strongly, uh, because it's factually incorrect, and and it's in defiance of the Geneva Conventions, which are the laws of war. Um, It is incumbent upon all warring parties at all times, uh, without exception, to, A, not intentionally target civilians, and B to not carry out attacks when uh, harm to civilians is unavoidable. But Those what two do you do when the enemy required.
1: surrounds themselves
4: with civilians because of the they laws know of war on both sides, But two wrongs don't make a right. So uh, Hamas is also in violation of the laws of war in the Geneva Convention, if there's no doubt about it. Uh, but that does not alleviate the... Uh, the requirements on Israel to avoid civilian casualties, and Israel has entirely disregarded that obligation uh, from day one of of, of this uh, this conflict uh, on October eighth, uh, and and has continued now to February twenty first on a daily basis to bulldoze apartment buildings. Uh, to bulldoze hospitals, to bomb hospitals and schools and markets and apartment buildings—the uh, same kind of uh, war crimes that Russia commits on a daily basis in Ukraine. He,
1: his his position was very much, you're right, the opposite of that. He felt mm-hmm. that when you there are you know whenever there's any kind of armed conflict, there are always civilian casualties. And it's also not true. No. It's when not, there's urban urban warfare like this, if there's urban
4: armed conflict, then there's almost always, But you know, there, there well, have been many yeah, wars. Yeah, I'm sorry.
1: Then I uh, until I World have been War more II. Clear.
4: But he said World in War this II,
1: particular Somalian situation Captain, in true. Gaza, where you have mm-hmm. uh, a dense urban area, and you also have an enemy that is hiding behind civilians and 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 going to hospitals and places that they know that they will get. Um, at least a moral victory if they are attacked. He said that, you know, that doesn't mean you just you don't go after them.
4: That, perhaps that's true, but Israel has is indiscriminately destroyed all of the northern part of Gaza uh, and, and is now poised to indiscriminately destroy all of the southern part of Gaza. Look at the video. They've, they've flattened, they've, they've bulldozed buildings down and flattened down to the ground the entirety of the territory. There's no structures left in the north part of Gaza. They've leveled it in most parts. Do you think it would
1: be a PR victory, if nothing else, if Netanyahu committed resources, at least in the north of Gaza, to start to rebuild the infrastructure?
4: Uh, because that's, a, that's a one thing question. that has
1: been suggested. That, well, you know, certainly,
4: there's an obligation to to do that, uh, but it's going to take a lot more than just that to to gain any kind of trust of of, of the Palestinians uh, at this point, because again, Israel's Israel's tactics have been unconscionable.
1: One of the more disturbing things I've read recently was a uh, seeming evidence that it's possible that um, part of a UN force in the area may have been assisting hamas on october 7th there um there were r- rumors about it for a long time and then a video surface yeah. that seems to yeah. show uh, a u.n worker in a u.n truck uh taking yeah, away the whether it's a wounded man or the body of a man somebody who was never heard from again yeah
4: there's something like a dozen uh workers in UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Works Agency, which is this separate agency that was created for uh, humanitarian relief, specifically for Gaza, uh, outside of the the larger United Nations uh, humanitarian relief organizations. Um, and that entity uh, has been staffed by locals largely. Uh, and, and like you said, uh, there's been uh, pretty reliable intelligence, both from U.S. intelligence and Israeli and others, that, that uh, a fair number of people working in that agency uh, were in fact um, in line with, uh, work, they were Hamas members. Uh, and and members of Islamic Jihad and other terrorist organizations. And there's no doubt that that's been the case. It's been a controversial organization from the beginning, and at the same time that organization provides was the main uh, provider of humanitarian assistance, but that was under a U.N. mandate that created that agency in the first place. It it was all an untenable situation from the beginning.
1: Jill, before we wrap up today, I want to circle back to Russia. Uh, Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about Yulia, Novalnaya. I don't know how, if that's how you say her last
4: name. Navalnaya. Yeah. Navalnaya. Um Well, first of all, her husband, uh, Alexei Navalny was the leading opposition figure in Russia for many years. Uh, when he burst under the scene, um, I and many others were kind of skeptical. He attracted a lot of skinheads. His message was uh, quite nationalist, including towards Ukraine. Uh, but he quickly... Shifted, uh, particularly as, as Putin's brutality became more and more obvious, and his dictatorial style and and the obscenity of of his corruption and the corruption of the system he'd put in place became clear. Navalny became uh, a loud spoken a, a loud spoken oppositionist, um, largely exposing the corruption from top to bottom in Russia's politics, um, and Putin. Uh, several times had tried to isolate him, imprison him, and even uh, have him murdered and finally assassinated him last week. Yulian uh, of Alnaya, his wife, uh, uh, had been a staunch supporter, obviously, of her husband, uh, but largely stayed out of the public eye uh, and did not speak in public. Uh, herself did not take any uh, political activity on her own. Uh, but on the day of uh, that... Navalny's murder was reported. She was in Munich uh, at the Munich Security Conference, which is a conference of foreign policy diplomats and experts from governments uh, around Europe. Uh, And she was there to promote Navalny's uh, message and his case uh, and also support for Ukraine. Uh, Kamala Harris was, Vice President Harris was speaking when uh, the news of Navalny's murder uh, came out. Uh, and uh, she ceded the stage to uh, Yulia, who gave a, quite a stirring and stoic and defiant one-minute speech, imploring the world to stand up to Putin's evil. And then the next day, on her late husband's uh, YouTube channel, uh, posted a longer message, uh, announcing that she was going to carry on his work and and, and uh, urging Russians to, uh, to come out and to show courage and to stand up. Um, there isn't any evidence that that is going to happen, but um, uh, I, the hope is that following in the footsteps of uh, the spouses of slain opposition leaders from uh, Cory Aquino to uh, Violeta Chamorro in Chile, to Benazir Bhutto in Pakistan, uh, that maybe somehow, some way, Yulia Navalny can, can spark uh, the rise of, of uh, Russian people against this horrible regime. Um, the odds are uh, stacked heavily, heavily against her, and there really isn't much sign that the Russian people are are poised or positioned to do that. But but that's the role uh, that we can hope that she plays. She certainly has the voice to do it, and and um, um, just a remarkable a remarkable statement that she gave in Munich. Hard to imagine how she was able to to do that uh, given the timing of. Uh, The information of her husband's death and when she she made that statement, I urge everyone to to find it and to listen to it. Quite moving.
1: Joel, thank you so much for uh, covering so much territory (laughs) with me today. Uh, Appreciate it as always. It's always great to talk to you.
4: Call your congressman and call your congresswoman. We need to support Ukraine uh, urgently or the situation is going to be more dire by the day.
1: I agree. Thank you very much, Joel Oster, Political Science Professor Benedictine University. We are going to break for news and then be back with more after this.
0: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito on WCPT 820.
1: Oh, I am pleased to welcome back Carolyn Fiddler. You can find her newsletter this week in State House Action. And uh, she keeps an eye on what is going on in various state legislatures around the country so that we don't have to. We can just bring her on and pick her (laughs) brains whenever we need to.
5: Carolyn, thanks for being here. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing well, except for all the badness happening in a lot of state legislatures. But it's not all bad, but it's a lot of bad. (laughs) There
1: There is a lot of bad. I don't know if you saw this. Of course, it was big news that the Alabama Supreme Court decided that yeah. um, uh, those little clots of cells uh, that were fertilized uh, eggs, those are actually children. Yes, they're small and they're frozen, but they're children. And um, just today, I'm trying to remember um, the name of the organization, University of Alabama at Birmingham Health System has paused in vitro fertilization procedures following an Alabama Supreme Court decision because they are afraid of criminal prosecution and lawsuits. One of the biggest medical complexes in the state of Alabama saying, you know what, it just isn't worth it for us. And, you know, I'm expecting other medical organizations in Alabama to follow suit. I mean, why should they run the risk of having to, you know, um, defend lawsuits? It's this is probably what the um, state legislature and the Supreme Court had in mind. Tell me what you see when you look at Alabama.
5: Yeah, no, it's uh, all I see. A uh, see a state with an elected uh, state Supreme Court. Um, that is uh, it being Alabama, fully uh, fully uh, um, staffed, so to speak, by Republicans. Uh, and uh, and this is what happens when you have a lot of extremists who are. Elected, uh, they have six-year terms in Alabama, um, but it's still Alabama, so um, it's still going to be Republicans, I think, for a long time. And yeah, from a legal standpoint, like n- no one, no one can blame any facility in, in Alabama for n- not no longer providing uh, in vitro uh, services. And I, I can't imagine how devastating that is for like I'm sure there were a lot of people who were like in the process, like maybe they were awaiting implantation or something. Like I, I, I mean. Um I have friends who have who have struggled to become mothers, and I know how, how emotionally i don't know i i've heard yeah. um, how emotionally taxing it can be and I cannot fathom how devastated these these families must be that this process is is suddenly being halted at the whim of um a bunch of a bunch of uh folks uh on their state supreme court who um <laughs> Well, to say that they don't have any empathy is probably a bit of an understatement. Um, and uh, this also opens the, the the doorway for all kinds of other uh, sort of pers- bad personhood situations in Alabama. Um, the gate was already open after um, Roe v. Wade was struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court. But um, that decision, plus a lot of bills we're seeing uh, in other legislatures, kind of indicate how emboldened um, the uh, anti-reproductive rights uh folks have become despite the fact that um it's incredibly unpopular for republicans at the ballot box to uh support these measures so it's uh it's a it's, it's a thorny fraught thing but it's just bad it's so bad it's it's unpopular
1: but also explain to me what, you know you've you've studied this in greater detail and probably know what some of the legislators in Alabama have said publicly i don't understand how putting a hold on or getting rid of in vitro fertilization how is that how is that's i mean what is more pro-life than wanting so (laughs) desperately to have a baby that you get science involved in the process the people who have been pushing a lot of this say they are pro-life I don't how do they reconcile that
5: well, I suspect that they reconcile it by um, kind of seeing, looking at only the other side of that coin, which is, you know, you define an embryo as, as say, a, a, a quote-unquote baby, which it's, it's a collection of cells that's uh, absolutely mongers and scientifically incredibly inaccurate. Um, they are opening the gates for other um, very anti-reproductive rights uh, decisions and laws in the state, um, not understanding the i mean or not just just not caring the chilling effect this can't help but have on the process of IVF but this yeah the, the fact that it opens other floodgates is i assume what they were after it's very difficult to know and um, and you would think that this would have been this decision would have been handed down handed down by um, well um Not every justice on the state Supreme Court is a guy, (laughs) but a lot of them are. So, uh, yeah, that's what that's what happens when those folks uh, are in charge of things. There is a male majority on that state Supreme Court. um, Unshockingly,
1: (laughs) you mentioned you you made reference a few minutes ago to anti uh, reproduction measures in other states. Walk us through some of those states and, and what they're doing.
5: Well, I kind of want to start with Kansas because uh, it feels like a million years ago now, but it wasn't that long ago when there was a statewide uh, ballot measure referendum uh, held in Kansas. Uh, in, it was a special election. It wasn't even held in November. Um, the folks who scheduled it tried to depress turnout by uh, having it not in November. and uh, And yet... Um, establishing protecting reproductive rights in Kansas was was very popular and won uh, with, a, with a with a strong majority of the statewide vote there. And yet, uh, Republican legislators are so uh, convinced, and you know, possibly cor- correctly, that they will face no consequences at the ballot box. For pushing more anti-reproductive rights measures through the legislature, that they have gone and uh, they have introduced a bill that requires doctors to to ask women for like reasons that they're that they're obtaining an abortion and and report this. There's like a there's this new sort of database push. Um, because that's happening in Kansas and in Oklahoma. Um, there's another bill that would establish um, a database of folks who uh, obtain abortions, which is just, you know, in, an incredible invasion of privacy. And, you know, I, I wonder how that runs, uh, you know, up against things like HIPAA and federal statutes like that. But I honestly don't know. It's not my area of expertise. But, um, yeah, Big Brother is uh, watching your uterus very, very hard, apparently, is, is, is the uh the thrust of current Republican measures.
1: Okay, you and I both know that a lot of, if not most politicians, do things that are in their own self-interest, and usually that self-interest is, I want to keep my job. Okay? So, we both know, though, that it's obvious, I mean, when you look at Kansas and the fact that uh, that vote that was taken to enshrine those kinds of opportunities to get abortions, it's clearly not a real popular stance with the vast majority of hello voters so i'm i'm you said that they seem to think that this is not going to come back to bite them but how is that i mean are they just insulating themselves you know and um supposedly you know i i read a, lo- a while back that part of the what happened with Kirsten cinema and how she sort of unraveled and 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 made herself Ill- irrelevant was that she surrounded herself with a group of people who like you know, just said rainbows are coming out of your eyes and, you know, um, gold glitter is coming out of your ears. Is it an echo chamber thing? Is it just that all they care about is the is the base and they think that's enough to keep them in their
5: job? It's a little bit of an echo chamber thing. And it's also a gerrymandering thing. Um, like No one's going to argue that, Kansas is not a conservative state, but they do have a Democratic governor and statewide. They also passed this ballot measure protecting abortion rights. So uh, so on one hand, you have a clear statewide sentiment to uh, to not go to the far, far right. But you also have this incredibly conservative legislative supermajority in place, um, which voters have a chance to bust up this fall, thankfully. but. yeah. No. Unfortunately, this Republican supermajority in Kansas can do eh, kind of what it wants uh, if they have all their uh, all their folks lined up and uh, ready to to uh, obey the will of the, the majority. So, uh, majority in the legislature not of the actual people in the state. So, yeah, Kansas is an is an interesting duck, and i kind of wonder if things like reproductive rights will help break those. Super majorities uh, in mm-hmm. elections there this fall. Uh, I'm not getting my hopes super high, but I also know that, like, there are a lot of um, organizations that focus on electing uh, Democrat state legislatures that are looking to help break those super majorities this fall. So maybe all hope is not lost. Fingers crossed.
1: Sometimes I think it is a lack of strategic thinking. We're going to make this decision because it feels right, right here, right now. And in the short term, I'm going to get a lot of applause for this. Um, In the long term, it may mean that more people in my party get voted out of office, but I just can't see that far down the road. It seems to me that maybe it's the lack of power of political parties, but it seems to me there used to be concern about what's going on in the near term, but also thinking about how that would play out in the long term. And frankly, uh, Republicans used to be really good at that. And there seems to me to be (laughs) a real absence of that strategic thinking. Well, is this going to be a short term victory, but a long term loss? And if so, how do we how do we write the ship right here right now? What is it? Do you think that argument holds water?
5: Well, I think that I think that two things are in play here. I think that in a lot of these uh, red states, uh, they they have they a lot of them turned red. Uh, they had some conservative Democrats like still around in the aughts, but they turned like fully red through the aughts and like right around 2010. So for a lot of lawmakers, especially in states with term limits, like that's their entire legislative careers, and so that is kind of the long term for them, and they don't understand the concept of not being in the majority in places like Alabama and Kansas and Oklahoma and a lot of other states. Uh, but also they have this newly conservative U.S. Supreme court with lifetime appointments um, who I think they, with with the overturning of Roe v. Wade uh, by the U.S. Supreme court, I think these folks feel pretty safe uh, in uh, their, their, um, they're, they're very comfortable in their convictions about uh fighting reproductive freedom and attacking attacking abortion rights and how that, that really won't blow back on them because, uh, you know, they weren't the ones that, you know, in some states fully took away uh, these rights, uh, even though they were. Um, so I think that, uh, I think they feel pretty insulated all around.
1: For some of these really
5: conservative
1: states that went after abortion and now are beginning to look at something like um, in vitro fertilization, this this almost sounds crazy to say but do you think that they will be coming after contraception
5: oh absolutely there was a push in the in the teens uh you kind of mostly in the earliest teens uh these things that they we call uh, personhood bills uh establishing that uh life begins at conception as a way to uh like shorten the clock on reproductive rights access or outlaw abortion entirely in various states and these bills turned out to be, like, not very popular, <laughs> and um, they did tend to fail. Um, I know there was a ballot measure, I want to say Mississippi, that would have, uh, I can't remember what year it was, that would have enshrined that uh, in law in that state, and it failed, to everyone's pleasant surprise, I think. <laughs> they're not very popular, but I think this is the new sort of personhood push. They're finding different ways to dress it up. You know, They're putting a bow on it, and they're calling it something else. Um, but, yeah, I think ultimately they want to remove, uh, they want to completely abrogate women's ability to, to control our own bodies. Um, we can't have access to contraception. You know, we, that denies us a whole, like, sort of, <laughs> that puts us in a, in a very uh, terrible spot when it comes to all kinds of health conditions, including being pregnant, because that is absolutely a health condition. Um, being pregnant affects every part of, of, of one's being. Um, and health so um and a lot of people are on contraception for not you know not specifically to prevent pregnancy and but these folks don't care because that that gives women control over their bodies and um you know a lot of a lot of men don't like that
1: um we have a caller who uh wants to Ooh. jump in on this conversation paul is calling in from seattle you're on with me and carolyn fiddler paul go ahead
3: yeah, hi can uh, Yeah, so uh, why the Dobbs decision has been such a big boom, uh, great issue for Democrats. And, Joan, if you remember uh, about two weeks ago when you had Professor Hershey on, and she talked about what motivates voters, and the first thing was like, well, fear and anger is, this is sounding Republican, but fear and anger about what is about having things taken away is the main thing, and uh, so Republicans have used fear and anger about, oh, it was uh, a person of color, or someone who doesn't look like you, who got your job, it's reverse discrimination, or the Democrats are going to take away your guns, but when you get so personal about, I'm going to take away your right to do with your body what you- you know your right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I'm going to take that away. Your your un, one your unalienable right to yourself. That really makes for sure women angry, and I think that's that's the that's the point that it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving if they keep doubling down on this. Uh, and Donald Trump, the, this is the ad that will just go through the election, when they that, that they have it already. Is a, yeah, I did this, I got it done. Yeah, I was the one who got it done. With <laughs> uh, the Supreme Court, is that is just going to continue to haunt them, and that's why I'm glad that the whole party is following him right down the rat hole where they all belong.
5: Um, I think that's a, that's a great point, Paul. I think that, yeah, um, fear, fear is a terrible emotion. No one likes being afraid, and one of the ways that fear often expresses itself uh, among humans is via anger gets uh, kind of transmorphed into that and uh, and that's been coming out of the ballot box and uh, yeah I agree that Republicans continuing to cling to that is is going to continue to bite them in the butt at the ballot box but in these state legislatures um, in these red states that have these incredibly gerrymandered districts yeah uh, It's 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 going to be a problem for a longer time um, because they have that uh, they have the they have the Dobbs decision they have that umbrella at the Mm -hmm. federal uh, court level (laughs) and uh, so as long as they're still in there and able to to wreak their havoc they're gonna and it's terrifying.
1: I um, was just looking at the Supreme Court decision in Alabama, the actual language. And apparently Mm -hmm. this ruling that these uh, IVF frozen embryos were children, they they refer to them as extra uterine children, which actually um, pretty much all children are extra uterine uh, children, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then, of course, uh, Tom Parker, the chief justice Mm -hmm. of the Supreme Court, said uh, that any decision, uh, any destroying of life would, quote, incur the wrath of a holy god
5: okay that's that's what we want in our in our alabama supreme court i'm so old that i remember when uh you know there was some backlash over there was a pretty insane guy who put the uh, ten commandments outside the the courthouse and that actually created some backlash in a red state and now and now look where we are
1: (laughs) yeah we we used to have that's one thing that it seems to me uh, the Republicans are very eager to erode the separation of church and state, you know, which is why you know you hear you know, a couple of years ago, Mike Flynn was said, "I don't understand why we can't all be Christian. you know, this is a christian why we can't be a Christian country and um, and more and more i'm I'm hearing, you know, um basically it's um it is the separation of church and state doesn't seem to be something that is respected by somebody like uh, Tom Parker and the people who talk talk about Christian nationalism and and that um, basically, what I think it boils down to those statements, Carolyn, are, um, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that white people were put on this earth to rule, that we're just smarter. We're just better, we're more successful, not because we've had advantages, but because we are just smarter and better. And God wants us to be in charge. And, and, you know, I've got two extra uterine children in their 20s, Carolyn. Um, (laughs) And um, I just can't get over that phrase.
5: Yeah, no. It's a lot, and yeah, white supremacy is absolutely making a comeback, and it is doing that in one party and not the other. And um, and those folks obviously have don't uh, know very much about our founding uh, fathers and principals because you know they actually but kind of yes. It they in a lot of ways they well they actually very firmly rejected the imposition of, of of religion but in in their own ways they were individuals like say Thomas Jefferson like he wrote his own version of the Bible and took out all the mystical parts just too yeah. crazy for me and uh and now here we are, and it's pretty terrifying and now um, here we
1: are, and it is pretty terrifying yeah. um we only have um about a minute and a half before we have to go to a break, so i I don't want to jump into uh, another topic, but I will. I do want to set up uh, because I I messaged you that I wanted to talk about Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin apparently learned nothing. The Republican Party in Wisconsin learned nothing from the Dr. Oz carpetbagger debacle (laughs) that took place in Pennsylvania. Um, Oh, yes. No, that mansion, that big multimillion dollar mansion in New Jersey that's that's just like a vacation home we really live in pennsylvania well where well you know with my mother-in-law that's where we we live with my mother-in-law and uh it did not go well for the people of pennsylvania but it looks like the republican party in wisconsin is uh going to have another dare i say carpetbagger on on the ballot uh, Gentleman who ran years ago against Tammy Baldwin, um, but eventually withdrew from that race, took his big pot of money, bought a big mansion in California, went to, um, work with a couple of businesses out in California, was, uh, voted like one of the most powerful people in Orange County. Um, had, but now all of a sudden, The Wisconsin Republican Party wants us to believe that he is a Wisconsinite and that he is a viable candidate to be the next senator from Wisconsin. Carolyn Fidler and I are going to take a break. We're going to talk about that when we come back. You can read her writing. Her newsletter is This Week in State House Action. We'll be right back after this.
6: Is switching your wireless service to Total by Verizon easy? Totalmente. And you get unlimited 5G data? $25 a line for four lines on the unlimited plan Total. at an amazing price Total. with no contracts. Total. Should you switch to Total by Verizon? Definitely. Uh, I mean, Totalmente. find a store or switch suavemente at TotalbyVerizon.com. Monthly rate when you activate without a pay plus taxes and fees. Discount begins the month after you enroll. Additional terms apply. See website for data management practices.
8: I'm Peter Schack now, CNBC. A last-minute comeback allowed the stock market to finish near-session highs, with the Dow and S&P breaking into positive territory after being lower for most of the session. That came after the January Fed meeting minutes highlighted the ongoing concern of Fed officials about inflation, but they did say that interest rates had likely peaked for now. The Dow gained 48 points to close at 38,612. The S&P 500 rose a tenth of a percent, and the Nasdaq composite cut its loss to about a third of a percent. The day's biggest loser in the Dow was Wall Street. Greens, down about 2.5%, following news that it will be replaced in the Dow by Amazon as of next week. The biggest loser in both the S&P and NASDAQ, Palo Alto Networks, with the cybersecurity company's stock plunging 28%, following a weaker-than-expected forecast. And new Labor Department figures show that the number of worker strikes hit a 23-year high last year, with a total of 33 major work stoppages. Peter Schachnow, now, (laughs) CNBC.
7: Hear the CNBC business updates each weekday at 9:30, 12:30, and 4:30. Now your WCPT 820 Chicago weather update. I'm meteorologist Ray Miller from the Weatherology Weather
5: Center. Cloudy skies tonight with a couple of showers after midnight, a low of 41 degrees and light east winds. Thursday showers with a high of 49 and light north winds. Friday sunshine, a high temperature of 39 degrees with breezy northwest winds. Saturday sunny with a high around 38 degrees. Sunday sunshine with a high of 53. Sunny on Monday with a high around 57 degrees. That's the latest Chicago weather update.
0: Right now, it's 64. Election buzz is in the air. And WCPT 820 is your source for progressive talk and informed decision. WCPT, Chicago's progressive talk. Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I'm joined by Carolyn Fidler. Her newsletter is This Week in State House Action. She keeps an eye on what is going on around the state. As uh, those of us at Heartland Signal, we keep an eye, we try to keep an eye on Ohio, you know, Indiana, Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, the states that we're near and dear with. And uh, there is an article on our website about the apparent Republican choice to become the next uh, senator, to run against Tammy Baldwin in the upcoming election. Eric Hovde, Carolyn, he lives (laughs) in a gated community that has yacht parking. Yacht parking. (laughs) Oh, that sounds fun. Yes. Uh, He lives in Emerald Bay in Southern California. (laughs) Uh, His neighbors include Warren Buffett. Uh, the Major League Baseball Commissioner, Peter Uberoth, actress Lori Loughlin. Um I mean, but oh, she's somehow... She's not in jail anymore? I can't keep track of her. Yeah, really. No, I think she was in jail, uh, and then she's back out of jail and yeah, making so those great. Hallmark <laughs> movies again. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, when, it, when he lost, or when he decided he couldn't win against Tammy Baldwin the last time around, he... Uh, did a Ken Griffin? But that's—I'm sorry—you're you're not from Illinois. Ken Griffin got really, really <laughs> mad, and he got his feelings hurt, and he took all oh, of his no. toys down to Florida, and he left Illinois, and he really wanted us to be sad and mad about that, but we were not. No one um, cared. <laughs> and apparently, Eric took his toys to California, where he's got a couple of businesses, and has been named like the greatest human being on the face of the planet uh, in Orange County. <laughs> Uh, But now he um, apparently is going to try to convince us that he actually he really lives in Wisconsin most of the time and he really should be the senator. I mean, what the hell?
5: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's not it's not abnormal for folks to move around different parts of the country over the course of their lives. But when you are that well established for that long in another place and then suddenly are bopping back just to run for office. Like people can like voters can tell nonsense. They absolutely can both parties. And um it certainly doesn't stop some Republicans from winning primaries. See also Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, but uh, it's it's often a stumbling block, both in primaries and the general. Um and uh yeah apparently he didn't even like mention uh, Wisconsin in his, uh, in his campaign rollout video. Or oh, God. <laughs> so, good on him. He's off to a great start. Yeah, I think this is, this is going to do interesting things that, I mean, Wisconsin has a, I think it's a June primary. So, like, there's some time for that race to still, that primary race to still take shape. So, we'll see, uh, we'll see if who, who else is kind of, uh, motivates to, uh, to run in that race. But, um, yeah, it's, I have uh, a theory. It's, it's it's bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a
1: theory that he's upset that the Republican Party of California picked Steve Garvey to go up against the Democrats um, for that Senate seat that's open in California. And hmm. he was like, I'm. Younger than Steve Garvey. Okay, I'm not famous. I wasn't a baseball player, but I'm wealthy. I'm younger. I'm handsome. I'm, you know, I'm white. Why didn't they pick me? Well, I'll show them. I'll show them. <laughs> I used to live in Wisconsin, and, and I'll run there, and then they'll be yeah. sorry.
5: I Steve- mean, also, maybe maybe it's a financial decision. It's much cheaper to run a U.S. Senate race in Wisconsin than it is in, say, California. Uh, just more expensive and more media markets to deal with. So, well, Steve uh, Garvey
1: clearly isn't spending any money on PrEP. I'm sure you saw that um the first <laughs> debate where they asked him, like, what his policies would be. And he said, well, I haven't really quite figured that out yet, but once I do, they're going to be great. They're going to be like You're the right. best policies ever that anybody ever right. had.
5: Leaning into those Trump vibes really hard I mean yeah. I worked for Trump once so I you know can't blame him for trying I guess I don't know it's don't weird know. and sad so <laughs>
1: uh, tell us Nick give us some of the other info stuff that's going on in state legislatures that we should be paying attention to
5: oh gosh um, well speaking of Wisconsin uh, looks like they're getting some new state legislative maps mm-hmm. um, that they, Banks not like, fully drive on the governor's signature, and they still have to go through some court approval. And there's a little bit of, a, you know, uh, there's a push to um, change one provision of, of the bill that included the new house and, house and Assembly maps. And that is a provision that Republicans put in there that they would not take effect until November's election, meaning that any specials or recalls that happen in the interim would be on the current Extraordinarily gerrymandered maps. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens with that, and 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 the move to pass these. And when I say Democratic maps, these were maps that Governor Evers uh, submitted to the state Supreme Court after they ruled that the current legislative maps, which are extreme GOP gerrymanders, or were, were violated the state constitution. So um, a bunch of people submitted their maps, and of all the you know, non Republican maps that were submitted. The court the court's experts were just like, these are so bad we're just not even going to, you know, render a comment on these. Um but of all the ones uh that were submitted uh and considered seriously, Evers maps were the least unfavorable to Republicans. Um uh even you know, kind of favor Republicans a little bit in a fifty fifty state, so Republicans, I guess kind of seeing the writing on the wall in terms of we're not getting anything close to the maps that we want to keep us in power, but these maps are the least bad, so let's just jump on these and preempt the state Supreme Court from passing maps that are worse for our for you know our our fake majorities so um so, yeah, so we'll see how there's going to be a little bit of continued legal wrangling. But um, it seems like we have the maps that will be in place for this fall of elections in the state. And uh, Democrats absolutely have a shot at it and a majority in assembly. And they don't really have a shot at the majority in the Senate uh, because those are staggered terms. Only half of that chamber is up this year. So that will be a four year uh, process there for Democrats to get in striking distance of the majority. Um, I'm glad
1: you explain but, that because yeah. I've got to say I was a little puzzled because one article I read <laughs> said um, Tony Evers has put out a map that still favors Republicans. And that's why they're agreeing to it. And I thought, well,
5: that's yeah. interesting. Um it's just a little bit. But yeah, it does slightly favor Republicans. Like based on data from uh the past uh presidential election, um I uh I have those numbers. One second. Um, bah, bah, bah. hey, Wisconsin. There we are. So the maps that were that Ever signed that Ever submitted and then signed into law uh would um uh, have given Biden eighteen Fifth uh, seats and Republicans fifteen seats in the state Senate. He won, saying he won eighteen of those districts, indicating that uh, your average Democrat might also win those seats. Um, so the, the Senate maps are are pretty good for Democrats, but again, because of the staggered terms, there's uh, going to be a four-year push to flip that chamber. But the Assembly maps, uh, Donald Trump would have carried fifty forty-nine, hmm. so they do slightly favor. Uh, republicans but uh not not by a lot and wisconsin is a 50-50 state very fairly um you know some democrats do win statewide some republicans do win statewide it's the uh it's the state legislature that has just been so incredibly undemocratically lopsided for so long and uh this this does remedy a a good chunk of that it's not perfect but no one's going to be like i don't think anyone's going to be a <laughs> satisfied with any outcome but it's certainly an improvement and uh just just from a voter's perspective of you know being able to choose the candidate that you you want to to represent a district that's not you know a weird squiggle across your state actually you know connects your your community um so it's uh it's it's, it's a big step up for sure
1: and walk me through again you said that um, even though it looks like everybody signed on, that Republicans—they want a change. Explain that to me again. I—I I, I got a little confused.
5: Yeah, no, it is—it is very. I, and I, I did go through it pretty quickly. No worries, no worries. Um, so, and I'm a little. Uh, slow. Evers, <laughs> no, not at all. It's—it's it's complex for sure. So, Evers submitted these maps uh, to uh, the state supreme court. To be considered as replacement maps for the new, for the current ones, which are now totally illegal. Um, And so, uh, the Republicans took those maps and Ever said, I'll sign them as long as you don't make any changes to them. So, first, uh, a month or so ago, Republicans. Said, okay, we're going to make some small changes to them. And he was just like, that's, that's not what I said. So we vetoed those. Um, and they weren't small changes. They were, They were, you know, still gerrymanders. And so Republicans said, okay, we're going to pass your maps. We're not going to make any changes to the districts that you proposed, but we will make one change, and that is that they will not go into effect immediately. They will go into effect for the November 24 elections, which means that any specials that take place in the interim or any recall elections that take place before November will be run on the old, illegal, incredibly gerrymandered maps, which might be a move by uh, Robin Voss to uh, stave off a, a recall threat. That's the kind of the theory there, but um, we're not sure exactly how that's going to shake out. The, the uh, Democratic Attorney General is asking the state Supreme Court to reject that provision, so not exactly sure uh, how that's going to shake out. Um, but it does look like those maps will be the ones that are in effect for the uh, fall, um, although there is some uh, some runway there. The um, I forget exactly when the primary is. I want to say it's pretty. It's pretty late though, so uh, folks have a lot of time yet to file to run in these new districts and whatnot. So and I don't think the saga is quite over there, but it's uh, you know moving in a good direction. How about that? How about that? You know
1: what? I will take it. Um, and we are going to take a break on a cheery note. Uh, Carolyn Fiddler, uh, this week in state house action, and I will be right back after this.
0: Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT eight twenty.
1: I am pleased to welcome back Carolyn Fiddler. Uh, her newsletter is this week in state house action, and uh, it is a great way to stay up on what is going on around the country. Hey, I wanted to ask you, um, since Ron DeSantis imploded. And since he can't run for another term as governor, it was only when those two things happened that I saw that there were some legislators in Florida who maybe were indicating that the book banning had gone too far and they wanted to um, rein it in and to say things like, OK, well, you know, like because apparently the vast majority of book bans in Florida, you could attribute to 11 people, not all of whom. Some of them went after school libraries and school districts, and they didn't even have kids in the system. So the, the yeah. thinking was, okay, well, we're going to limit the number of books that one individual can suggest for banning and, oh, by the way, if they're doing this within a school system, you know, they really ought to have a kid who goes to school there. And I thought to myself, um, some of the people... Who were maybe afraid to speak out when Ron DeSantis was seemingly so popular now have found a little <laughs> bit of courage, and then the uh, just within the last week or so, I read that Ron DeSantis agrees with them and that he is <laughs> also going to be behind this legislation that tightens. The guardrails on who can ban a book and how many books can be banned and what the process is going to be.
5: What's happening in Florida, Carolyn? Uh, I think uh, I think it's I I wouldn't get too excited about it. Yes, it's. Oh, I'm excited. You can't stop me. You know what? I won't. I won't. I I, have, I will say that I personally have a hard time getting uh excited about Florida. <laughs> they have a long way to go. <laughs> um, but this well, is a good they step do, in a good direction but, you know, for sure.
1: Um the people of Texas periodically uh, say they want to secede from the union, and I was talking to a reporter in Texas, <laughs> and I said the only way the rest of the country would support that is if they promise to take Florida with them. And I now <laughs> I want to I want to revise that, and I would say the only way I would su- support secession from Texas is if they take Alabama with them.
5: I'll <laughs> keep Florida.
1: Oh. So go ahead, crush again. my little hopes.
5: I have, to, I have to use a passport just to go visit my relatives. So, <laughs> so why
1: do you think I shouldn't be so optimistic about Florida? Uh,
6: because because
5: I think that, that Florida is still a very conservative state and like some minuscule guardrails. Like we have been so kind of conditioned to accept, to accept these like little victories. It's like, oh, OK, this is things are not as bad. No, it's still very bad. Uh-huh. People are still banning books um you know mom's for liberty are still you know they they had um they had they had a setback in last year's elections for sure for school boards but like they're by no means done i don't think uh so i think that uh vigilance uh should be maintained <laughs> and uh just because they uh you know, they, they threw something, you know, way out in the field and you're like, Well that's too far. And they're like, Oh, we're only gonna lob it halfway across the field. And you're like, I just don't have any shoes, I can't get that. Like, but it's <laughs> at least it's closer. It's still mm-hmm. not good. Sorry, revealing my bumpkin roots. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's quite
1: all right, as I sit here at home with no shoes on my feet, uh doing my radio show. I I I get the reference. I'm right there with you. Uh, So maybe not time to celebrate um, Florida becoming a blue state?
5: Not quite yet. I mean, there was a big special election win uh, either earlier this month or late last month, Um, an unexpected slip for Democrats in the legislature. Um, Yes, uh, baby steps are good. Moving in the right direction is good and should be celebrated, but... um, I think we're still looking at a long road ahead for Florida in terms of moving back to to being a purple state. Unfortunately, it feels like it wasn't that long ago when it was pretty reliably purple, and uh, it's it's definitely not anymore. And I think we still have a while before it will be. I think I think it will be again. I just think demographics are, are shifting in various places in that way, but I think it's going to take a pretty long time.
1: When when we. Look at a state and see a, a demographic shift that could change the politics in that state. Are, what are you looking at that makes you think that way? Because is Florida like getting younger and therefore, you know, from everything that I've read, the younger generations are much less likely to uh, identify with the Republican party. Is it a, is it an ethnic shift? What do you see happening in Florida?
5: Well, I mean, part of it is um, well. I have a a pollster friend who used to call it "folks aging out of the electorate." Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My
1: demographic, then, huh?
5: Huh?
1: I I, I, I should think you're waiting for all of us to die. I know it.
5: No one's waiting, no one, no one is waiting on you to die. We're, we're convinced you're going to live forever. Let's, let's be real. Um, but, uh, some folks shall. And so while a lot of retirees remain kind of flooding into Florida for sure, like that's not going to continue forever. Um, uh, and. Uh, there will be more young people eventually. There'll be more uh, folks of color, um, and but those folks will, might not necessarily vote Democratic either. Um, demographic shifts are also socioeconomic shifts. Let's see if these, you know, backwards tax policies end up, you know, dramatically undermining uh, sort of the politics of the state, the way they have a little bit in say Kansas. Um, Kansas had a, a little bit of a. Sort of a moderate revolt back in the aughts uh over some awful awful tax policies that pretty much bankrupted the state so um that can that can shift things as well so uh, a lot of a lot of different factors, and people smarter than I am about uh, about those demographics probably have a clearer picture, but I still think that we're we have a long uh, a long road to hoe uh to uh <laughs> to get back to democratic competitiveness in most of Florida.
1: You know who I haven't heard anything about in a long time is, um, since her failed run was Val Demings. Um, I mean, she was in Congress. She was a very bright star. Um, she reached for higher office in Florida, seemingly the perfect candidate, you know, um, uh, with a background in law enforcement, clearly a, a tough on crime kind of, um, position. Um, but it wasn't enough to winner the job have you heard anything about what she's doing these days
5: you know i have not i hope she's not done with public office because you're right she was absolutely a rising star and you know in, in an election someone has to lose and losing is you know, i don't think she'd be a qualifier for continuing to uh to be involved but uh, i don't know what she's doing
1: speaking of elections and speaking of florida what do you think matt <laughs> gates's chances are of becoming the next governor of florida
5: I think distressingly good. No. <laughs> I don't like saying those words with my mouth. It makes me feel gross. Um, but uh, you know, I'm I'm not convinced that these continuing sort of legal hiccups are really going to, um, you know. Uh, uh, fetter him in any real meaningful way. I think he's, once he's out of Congress, he doesn't have to worry about them anymore. And I think that's one of the reasons he wants to run for governor because the House Ethics Committee, House, House Ethics Committee just won't leave this stuff alone. Um must be the sex with
1: underage girls. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Thing. I, I saw yeah. not too long ago, though I know they don't really do their work in the public eye, that at least one the implication was one young lady had agreed to talk to the House Ethics Committee. Um, And, you know, I was like, okay, well, and I've heard I've heard nothing since then. And I guess until they're ready to release a report, we uh, we probably we probably won't hear anything
5: on that. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, I mean, one one thing that's that's working sort of on the side of uh, truth, justice of the American way here is that, Um, If he were to get booted from Congress, his district is so reliably Republican that it would not Mm -hmm. affect Republicans' razor-thin majority in the U.S. House. So, um, you know, they wouldn't have to worry about sort of that. Um, But, yeah, he's definitely going to run for governor. And we'll see how uh, sort of messy the primary field is because – Historically, like I remember, in his first race for the U.S. House, he, you know, kind of eked out a win in a three-way primary. So, you know, it's, he's definitely not a shoo-in. I think there are a lot of, um, I think there are a lot of good Republican candidates, uh, you know, for Republicans in Florida. And I think he's, it's not, uh, it's not going to be handed to him uh, on a silver platter. So we'll see, we'll see how that works out. Could be messy. And uh, speaking of squeaking it's out, AIDS. I take it back. It's, it's <laughs> it will be messy. It yes. will be messy.
1: Lauren Boebert squeaked out her last election. And from, again, you know, from what I'm reading, um, she may not have uh, even that small margin of victory coming up that perhaps of uh, the people of her district have gotten tired of her. What do you hear
5: about Colorado and Ms. Boebert? Yeah, no, I think uh I think she I mean, she might even like, you know, lose a primary. She might not even be on the ballot in November. I think I think it could be that bad. Um I'm not sure who's kind of waiting in the w- wings in that district to pop up and challenge her, but um you know, I think she. Uh, I think, especially in a presidential year, I think uh, I'd be pretty surprised if she. All uh, right, a little surprised if she wins reelection. Incumbency is a real thing that matters, but um, I think she is sufficiently embarrassed <laughs> her constituents, ones who did and did you not. You think vote it was the Beetlejuice bad behavior that sort of put her over the top there? I don't think that was a lot of it, but she has a lot of other—she has a ton of bad behavior. But, yeah, that one's just sort of so beyond the sort of societal pale. Like, don't do that in a theater. What are you, what are you thinking? mm mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I don't care I how think, much think you think like that, him. Like, right. Like, you know, no one wants to sit next to that happening when they're at a show. <laughs> well, I was Very really disappointed—
1: um, Because, I mean, you know, she's now divorced, but her former husband has been rumored to be physically violent. And their son called 911 uh, uh claiming that his dad was being violent with him. And apparently he and Lauren were already separated, but she was living in a different house on the same plot of land. And the son went to her house. And when the police arrived... She basically had her son recant and she was like, you know, basically nothing to see here, nothing to see. Everything's fine. And, you know, her son like said, well, I, I really, I didn't mean it. And I thought to myself, um. wow, that right there, that right there. I would never vote for a person who, who did that. And I thought to myself, what is she trying to save her political career? Or what, what would be, you know, it was just awful, and they have since become. They've since gotten divorced, and there haven't been any more rumors or accusations against him. But right then and there, um, like I, like I didn't. Obviously, I didn't like her politics anyway. But that was just a bridge too far. So I hope she yeah, goes
5: but domestic violence is always a real sticky situation. Yeah. Victims recanting is is very, very, very common. Um, mm-hmm. Those situations are whole whole fraught uh, monstrosities of their own. So, um, uh, well, yeah, I, 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 feel, I, apologize. I feel terrible for the kid.
1: <laughs> I wanted to talk about different legislatures, and I took us so far afield. Next time, will you keep me focused, please? I just enjoy these conversations, though. Uh, yeah, so do I. That's why we just roll all over. Carolyn Fiddler's <laughs> newsletter is This Week in Statehouse Action. That is going to do it for me. Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez is up next. I will see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Have a great night, my friends. Good night.